Good morning. Good morning. Hey, hey. It is good to see your smiling faces. Those of you who are smiling. Those of you that aren't smiling, it's good to see your faces. Um, let's pray before we get into our study of the word this morning. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give clarity to us as we read. Lord God, we don't want to simply acquire information, but we want to be transformed people. Lord God, we see a world around us that has so many other voices telling us what is valuable or what is worthwhile or what we should give our life to. But Lord Jesus, would you please speak to us this morning? As we read this record of your words, this record that John has written down for us, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you meet us exactly where we are? And would you speak to us? Would these words be more yours than they are mine or anyone else's? Would they be yours, Lord Jesus? Amen. Please grab a Bible and open it. We are in John chapter 17, um, and certainly welcome to those of you who are joining us this morning. And I need to warn you, some of the stuff that we're going to be having a look at uh, this morning is going to spill over into our church meeting. And I know some of you will not be able to, to stay for lunch and then to, to continue hanging out with us for the church meeting. But for those of you that are 50-50, I want you to come to the church meeting. I really do. I want you to deliberately come along because I'm really excited about it. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. Uh, you'll get some hints about it this morning. But I'm excited because the Lord is active and the Lord is doing stuff in this church and in other churches in this district and he is interested in us knowing him and he is interested in us belonging to one another and having joy and having unity. We're going to read about that in a moment. So let's recap so we know the context of this passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning. Somewhere after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room, but they have not yet crossed over to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we find John chapter 17, John's record of this prayer that Jesus makes in the middle of that period, somewhere on that night. Jesus is speaking to the Father. We know that the Spirit of God already has descended on Jesus um, sometime before this at his baptism. We know that Jesus has already said that Judas is going to betray him. And so Jesus and the 11 are somewhere in between. Jesus has said to, to the Father already in, in chapter 11, the hour has come. It's about to go down. It is going to happen. As we're about to read in a moment, Jesus is going to say to the Father, I am coming to you. But right before he does, this is how he prays. Let's start from chapter 17, verse 1. And let's read together. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. It's John 17. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. One of many statements Jesus makes about him pre-existing. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and now they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. And so we pick up our passage for this week. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, or your Bible might say the son of perdition. We'll explain that in a moment. The one doomed to to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, which means to set them apart. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. We talked last week about how the passage just before this, from about verse 6 down to verse 10, Jesus is talking about how his disciples, these ones who have been following him, Jesus has assurance that they're fair income, that they are real. They have been given to him by the Father. Jesus has given them the words of the Father. They've accepted them and they know and they believe. And then before he finishes, he prays for their protection. If you have a look in these verses, these eight verses, Jesus mentions the word protection three times. It's kind of odd that Jesus prays for them to be protected. It's a bit odd because if we skip back over to chapter 16, have a look at chapter 16 with me. Chapter 16, verse 1. All this, everything beforehand that Jesus talked about, um, all this I've told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Jesus has already told his disciples, you know what, there is going to be a time when people who kill you assume that's going to happen 
are going to think they're doing a service to God. And now Jesus is praying for their protection. It's kind of like saying to someone, I know that you're going to get your arms and your legs chopped off, but I'm praying for your health. And here Jesus says, a time is coming when people who kill you will think they're doing a service to God. I'm praying for your protection. See, the protection Jesus is talking about here, we find in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Sometimes we think, or sometimes perhaps we've heard, that if you belong to Jesus, life is supposed to be smooth sailing. Or life is supposed to be incredibly comfortable. You know, hakuna matata. That's a Lion King quote. Okay, three smiling faces. Cool. You have grandkids like my kids, yeah. All right. That is not what Jesus is talking about. That's not the kind of protection that he has in mind. Have a look. He has just finished mentioning Judas here. Verse 12. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, the son of perdition, in the same way that I would be referred to as uh, Bob of Coffs Harbour or that Max might be referred to. Where, where are you born, Max? Warwick Nabil, awesome. Max of Warwick Nabil, ladies and gentlemen. In the same way, this terminology we find elsewhere in Scripture, the son of perdition, the one who is from destruction and will inevitably return to destruction. That's how we know that this is referring to Judas. Now, at this particular point in the passage, Judas has not yet met up with them in the garden with the soldiers. And we know that after this, Judas has a realization. We find that in Matthew's gospel. And he goes and he throws his payment back and he goes out and he hangs himself. Judas so far has not suffered any physical malady. And yet Jesus says here that this one has been lost to him. I think it's interesting to note that Jesus is talking about the way he protects people. Then he says, the only one who I have not protected is one where there was actually something very spiritual and preordained going on by God so that scripture would be fulfilled. Just in case you thought the enemy could sneak in and snatch you out from under Jesus's protection. That's not the way it works. So Jesus here prays for protection. It would be pertinent of us to talk about what that looks like because who here maybe has observed some things going on in the world which seem a bit hazardous of late, maybe some wars and some rumours of wars, maybe some footage on the news you would rather not see, maybe some ads asking you to support kids in other countries who are clearly not doing well. But Jesus here prays for protection from the evil one. And the thing that he continually mentions in this is the power of his name. Have a look, verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. While I was with them, I protected them. That same thing about his name. And then we come down here, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We have these three things that are getting mentioned, the truth and the word and the name of God. Now, when we often talk about the word, what we are talking about is a hardcover or softcover Zondervan publication 
which has been translated into English and maybe you have a dozen or so of sitting around your house. When Jesus is talking about the word in this context, Jesus is talking about the message. The word for word is logos. That's the word he's using. I'm probably pronouncing, is that okay? Logos? Okay, good. It's all right, I've checked my Greek. So, um, my Greek pronunciation. The logos, the message. Logos, okay. All right. I'm getting there. We will, if we run classes in ancient Greek, you are all on board. So here, Jesus is saying, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Your message, your gospel, literally your good news is the truth. The work and the person of Jesus Christ is the thing that will set them apart. The thing that will form this protection up to do with the name of God. So that is what Jesus is asking for. But one thing I want to be really clear about coming out of this passage of Scripture and going, what do we do with this? How do we apply it? Is that it does not mean that you and I are void of responsibility. It means that Jesus is asking the Father for protection, particularly in this passage for those 11 who are following him and by implication, us. Those who follow Jesus, those who belong to Jesus, those who are attached to the name of Jesus. That's us, I hope. But it means that you and I have a response. And this building that we're sitting in this morning exists as part of our response to the name of Jesus. The home groups, the fellowship groups, the ministry groups you're involved in exist because they are part of our response to the name of Jesus. So I want to talk about a few different areas that actually serve to protect you from the evil one. Let's start with this one here at the top, salvation and baptism, and that then becomes prayer. Jesus says that he has protected them by the power of his name. And this is something which is less common in, I would say, more sanitized Western experiences of Christianity is where the name of Jesus actually causes something spiritual to happen in another person. There are cases where people have so invited evil things and wicked things through witchcraft, through seances, through Wicca, through all kinds of different magical practices. Again, far less common in Western Christianity to, to find these things going on, but it certainly happens, where the name of Jesus is actually the only authority that we have. Because I can't talk to any angel or demon or unclean spirit or anything that's going on in a person. Bob has no authority. Jesus Christ has authority. And there are there are extraordinary cases which have come to light through Christian experience over centuries. This stuff has been going on throughout Christian history where even people who don't belong to Jesus, who bring the name of Jesus, see this amazing, powerful effect that it has because Jesus has the authority and we don't. And this, after we have given our life to Jesus and after we've gone through the waters of baptism, where we lay claim to Jesus it means that he will sift through us and that that protection of us starts to take hold inside. If I have things going on in my own life that I don't want there anymore, Scripture says that Jesus, by the Spirit, will be at work in us, releasing us and convicting us and transforming us and healing us and causing us to live and walk and breathe and stir our coffee and drive our cars differently. 
That's the first way that this protection of Jesus starts to take hold in us. It's like the whole world is raining down on you and Jesus says, come and stand under my umbrella. Now, is it possible for someone standing underneath an umbrella to still stick their arms and legs out and to go, oh, I kind of want to be here, I kind of don't want to be here? Absolutely. And there are some people where their experience of coming to Jesus is that there is a process of them ridding themselves of stuff that they keep inviting back in or practices they keep going back to, which give the enemy an opportunity to exploit them. Protection number one, salvation and baptism, and by that being able to pray in Jesus' name. The second thing that happens is that if the Spirit of God is in you and in me, if we have actually given our life to Jesus, then he calls us into, I'll give you a hint, it's word number two that's up there, he calls us into community. This community of faith, this one right here that you find yourself sitting in, exists as part of the protection of Jesus because this is a community of people who are attached to the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus, as it works out in community, serves to protect us. It means that we are able to sit down and to pray with one another, to intercede for one another. When things are going wrong, we can talk with one another. Sometimes when things are going wrong and we don't want to talk, still our responsibility because of the name of Jesus is to confront things in one another. Again, this is how the safety, the protection from the enemy functions. So let me ask a question about that. If we care nothing about being in community with his people, what do we think that says about the name of Jesus? If I say that I love Jesus but I cannot stand this community, do we understand that we are actually negating part of the protection of his name which he has put in place. As much as some days I get frustrated, I know you never have these experiences. You never get frustrated and you never get upset and never get angry or disappointed with other Christians. I know that's just my experience. But even when that happens, do we still go, Lord, thank you for the community of faith. Thank you that there are other people who are on this journey towards you and that we can have fellowship together. Remember, Jesus up here has used the language that he wants them to be one, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus actually has in mind that the people who follow him will be attached to one another. I know for, for some of us, sometimes that's a horrifying thought. I'm going to be with these people for eternity. That they may be one as we are one. Jesus also says here in verse 13, I am saying these things so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus actually has joy. He's about to go to the cross and Jesus is wanting his disciples to know the full measure and to have, to understand, because he's speaking out loud, that the full measure of the joy that he has, that he's going and that the Father is going to protect them. Service. It is by the name and message of Jesus that we sift the value of our activities and our obedience. This is in effect that the name of Jesus and this sanctifying, the message of Jesus has on us. 
If I hold up the work which I do and, and the things of my life that I invest my time and my energy and my money into, and if I hold up the name of Jesus and this message, this word about him coming to save us, that shines an incredibly powerful and confronting light on what I do with my time. Whether we're trying to serve Jesus faithfully becomes pretty convicting. There is a story I got told by a pastor recently about a couple in a church who, um, who'd hit retirement age. And so what they decided to do is that they sold everything that they had, quite a lot of stuff, and they bought a massive, massive, massive yacht and they would go sailing the world, stopping on different beaches and collecting seashells. And this pastor lamented because he saw in this couple so much opportunity for them to be engaged discipling others and training others and investing back into the kingdom of God. And he lamented and he couldn't help but ask himself, what will it be like on that great and glorious day when they stand before the Lord and say, look at my seashells? It's confronting. See, part of serving the community of faith is that it keeps us safe from the evil one. It protects us from the evil one. If I am serving someone else, if I am trying to feed people who are hungry, if I'm trying to reach into the darkness in other people's lives to support them and to help journey with them, if I'm trying to wash someone else's feet, you know, that, that part of their life which, which is not always pretty, if I'm trying to engage with that, the effect it has on me is that it sifts through my priorities and my values and it protects me from the evil one leading me astray. The next one is being sent or going. Jesus sends out the 12. Jesus sends out the 72. It seems like if you belong to Jesus, you're going to get sent somewhere at some point. We know the Great Commission. As you are going, make disciples of all nations. Jesus sends people, and when we come into contact Truly, with the name of Jesus and the message of Jesus, it is supposed to have a mobilizing effect on us. Not just geographically, but, but internally to go, what am I prepared to leave behind in order to go and make known this message I've received? Jesus never intended for the good news to stop with you. Jesus intended for the good news to move into you and transform you and then to pick you up and move you along with it and to be sent, and as we are going, as we are literally changing our whereabouts, going into different spaces and different places, going into the sporting clubs that we're part of, going into the business communities that we're part of, going into our education facilities, as that is happening, it is having an effect on us, causing us to mature, causing us to be protected, the difficulty is when we go, you know what, I'm going to stay right here and I'm, and whether because of fear or because of comfort or for some other reason when I go, you know what, I will not move from this place. Then the question has to be asked, in, in what way are we exercising obedience? Now, it may well be that God sends you somewhere and says, cool, stay there until I tell you to move. Cool, you have been sent. 
But if Jesus is telling me that I need to pick my feet up and go from where I am to somewhere else, whether it is across the street, whether it is into a particular organization, whether it is to another country, as I practice obedience, it transforms me and it protects me. There's a story that we find, um, I think it's in 1 Kings, where King David sins where he's supposed to be away at war. God has made it very clear, here is where I want you. He was supposed to be the commander of the armies and his location was supposed to be geographically somewhere else. And because it wasn't, because he stayed home when he should have gone, idleness gives the enemy tremendous opportunity to come in and go, oh, have a look at this. Try this instead. And it didn't just waste his time it meant that he started filling his heart and his mind with things that God did not have for him. You see, the protection that God has for us all the way through Scripture, all the way through Scripture, we find necessitates a response on our behalf. The Lord had a plan for Jonah, said, I'm sending you. And Jonah said, no, you're not. And the Lord played a, a whale card. If we are where the Lord is sending us, then do we understand that that is actually for our protection and not only so, but for the protection of the community around us? Last thing here is disciple making. Now, we'll talk about this later on after lunch. I think our definition of disciple making, we have conflated it and turned it into something that Jesus never meant for it to be. Jesus meant for every one of us to be able to make disciples of other people. So if we have a definition of discipleship that only a professional with a university accredited something can do, then our definition of discipleship is not biblical. Disciple making. If, if you have been a Christian for more than three years, there is no reason that you can't ask someone how they're traveling and read the Bible with them and challenge one another in obedience to Christ. It's really that simple. And as we are going and deliberately looking to journey with people who are not as far down the track as us, people who maybe haven't matured as much as us or people who haven't been as seasoned in particular experiences as us, as we seek to journey with those people, it has, again, a filtering effect on us because we can't fake that. It means that, that we can't put a facade up if we are really truly journeying with other people. If we are saying to them, look, let's journey towards Jesus together. Let's sit down and read the scripture and be convicted by it together. It has an effect on us and it serves for our protection. If you've been following Jesus, there is nothing to stop you. Ask someone how they're going. Read the Bible with them. Challenge one another. Disciple making, among others, is a continual reality check about whether we are actually living what we say. So Jesus prays for your protection and for my protection. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. It is my hope that Australia will encounter a kind of radical, sold-out-for-Jesus form of Christianity, which is not just waiting for an escape pod. Sometimes we can tend towards that way. We can go, you know what, I can't wait to get out of here. 
Lord, everything's looking really, really, really bad. Whisk me away. Jesus makes it very clear here that is not his prayer. But that you would protect them from the evil one. I don't think it's accidental that the Apostle Paul starts when he's um, describing the armor of God in Ephesians, that he starts with the belt of truth. We find here in chapter, uh, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. You and I are here and the Lord will protect us. But that protection doesn't necessarily mean it won't cost us our life naturally. He will protect us from the evil one. The question is whether or not you and I are prepared to step up and engage our response in obedience to the Lord. So, all right, Lord, I will respond in obedience by actually loving the community of faith and engaging. Lord Jesus, I will respond in obedience by serving because otherwise I miss out on the protection effect it has for me and the rest of the body is missing out on that gift that the Holy Spirit is going to work through me. Lord Jesus, I'm going to respond by going where you send me. Or Lord Jesus, I'm going to respond by actually investing my life in other people rather than looking for seashells. Jesus prays for our protection. But it does not mean that we just sit around and expect everything to be hunky-dory. We have a response. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask, would you give us eyes to see where we can respond, what obedience looks like for us? Because, Lord Jesus, we know that you sent these, these men out. You sent out these ones. Lord Jesus, we know that when your spirit came in power at the Feast of Pentecost, that your spirit empowered them to go and to spread this message, this word that sanctifies and sets apart. We know that when, when these people spoke, in your name, Lord Jesus, it had a kind of authority that did not live in them naturally. And Lord Jesus, we see our country. We see what's going on. We see how rapidly things have shifted from having a cultural baseline understanding of who you are to being a country that's never heard of you before. And Lord Jesus, my prayer is not that you would take us out of the world, but that you would protect us from the evil one. And Lord Jesus, I would ask that you would not send an escape pod, but that you would give us strength and that you would give us a spine, that you would cause us to have a, a stickability because of your name that we don't have reserves for inside of us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand and to take your words and to apply them right where we very are. 
Lord Jesus, would you help us to make this personal about the people that we're spending our life with, about how we can speak to them and reach out to them and be in community with them and share this message with them and introduce them to who, to who you are. Lord Jesus, I thank you again for what you were doing in this part of the world. And Lord, I say, would you please continue? Would you please continue sifting our own hearts and our motives, causing us to value the things that are valuable to you, to want your outcome? We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.